Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Indeed it is. Welcome into it. It is a Saturday morning, man. Hold on. Wait a second. I can't hear myself right there. Hey, there we go. I can almost hear myself right there. We go. A little tweak in the headphones. Welcome into it. Happy Saturday. Great to have you along for this morning. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. If you want to join in, hopefully you had a wonderful Memorial Weekend. Can you believe it, man? We are officially into the month of June. Not to freak you out or anything, but we are halfway through the year of 2023. Already, we are halfway through. 50% of the way, man. Let's keep on trucking. We've survived so far. Can we survive a little bit longer? That is the big question. Welcome into it. we got a lot to talk about. A lot of things going on across the state of Kansas and how we are involved in things going on nationwide right now. The vote on the debt ceiling that we'll get to here in just a minute. We will talk about the breakdown of what that bill is, how our delegation voted for that in Washington, D.C., a tear, a divide among our own delegation and congressional leaders across Kansas on that vote. We'll break that down and get your thoughts on that one. Also, now that June 1st has officially hit this week, that means that we are now locked in, settled on our potential candidates for our off-season elections our off-election year, if you want to call it that. I don't know that we want to call it that necessarily, though. So we will have the official candidates on numerous different races across the state of Kansas, especially on the local levels as we uh, break down the mayor's races and city council races, and we'll start getting candidates on the program here from all over the area. So welcome into it, 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM, 1480 on the AM dial, 99.7 HD4. If you have that HD radio you can hear us in the high-definition, high-quality HD4. They're also our friends out in Garden City on 1240 KIUL. Welcome aboard, and good morning to you. I know that uh, even though we broadcast out there, I do want to spend a little bit of time with our mayor's race here in the city of Wichita because there are now, as I said, with June 1st being that deadline to file and officially register as a candidate, there are now nine candidates in our race for mayor. And I ask you the question, do you know all the candidates and do you have a flavor of who you may be supporting early on? Now, because there are nine candidates, that means there will be a primary race coming up on August 1st to narrow down from nine candidates down to two. Oh, yes, it will get down to two, and then we'll do the head-to-head square off going into the general election for November in this year. So with nine candidates going down to two, who do you think those two candidates may be? Obviously, there's a lot of backing. or Well, I say there's a lot of momentum, let's put it that way, behind the incumbent Democrat. It's unaffiliated, I know, but he's essentially a Democrat. He's a very progressive Democrat. He was a state legislator before, a very wild, wicked, left-wing, progressive Democrat Brandon Whipple, the incumbent mayor that has officially announced his reelection, waiting till the very end of the deadline uh, for him to officially announce and file for his reelection. We knew it was going to happen, but waiting right till that last minute to do so. But Brandon Whipple making his announcement earlier this week that he will be running for reelection for mayor in the city. Uh, and he, I don't know that he's the front runner, but he obviously has a lot more 
uh, name recognition than some of the other ones, obviously being mayor for the last four years and uh, having a very large progressive activist base. We'll just put it that way. So we'll see if he can pull that one off. Now, there are a couple other names that seem to be a little bit sticking out more so than others in there. I can't necessarily say that by certainty with polls that they're actually the front runners or not in any way, shape or form. But uh, we can say that they at least have a little bit more name recognition and maybe some momentum behind them. And that includes the current city councilman, Brian Fry, which if you listen to this program for any stint of time, uh, he's been a very frequent guest on the show for years when we did the midday show or when we did the morning show. Throughout the week, we used to have him on on a weekly basis doing our city update for the city of Wichita. A great individual, and uh, he's announced him as well. Probably has a little bit more name credibility than some of the others. But another name that really popped up that I was not aware of, or at least I didn't know was planning to run for mayor, and that may throw a little bit of a wrench in the system in some way, shape, or form, is Lily Wu, former news anchor for Cake News. And uh, by the way, we will be having all of the candidates, all nine of the candidates on the program between now and the August 1st primary coming up. So that way you can get an opportunity to hear each and every one of them. But I'm curious, from the ones that you do know, who are you supporting? Kind of a, uh, un- uh, a an unofficial poll here on the Kansas Talk program on your support one way or the other. And when we do start getting candidates on over the next few weeks, what would be the primary issues that you want to focus on? Yes, we will be talking about the ridiculous pickleball court that will be funded down in the southern end of the city. And for those that live outside of the city, like in Garden City right now, uh, yeah, the city of Wichita spent um, a lot of money, like $100 million or whatever it was, ridiculous amount of money on a pickleball court to be built on the southern portion of the city of Wichita because they said that there was not a whole lot of uh, entertainment and things for the community to do down there and that was their grand idea was to build a pickleball court and not just a pickleball I think it went from four million to eight million dollars I take that was a hundred million it was about four four to eight million dollars they doubled it because now they can hold pickleball tournaments by doubling the amount of courts and actually making it legitimate so Uh, That has been the big grand scheme to try and bring attractions to the city of Wichita has been pickleball. I mean, maybe people really like pickleball. That's cool. The last time I played it was when I was taught how to play in middle school gym class. And that was that was the last time that I've played. And that's probably the last time that I will play. I don't have any intention to play pickleball in any way, shape or form. But if that's what people really enjoy, then cool. Maybe there's a big fascination of pickleball down in the southern portion of the city of Wichita. But nine candidates right now that include the current incumbent, Brandon Whipple, the current uh, city councilman, Brian Fry, Lily Wu, the cake news anchor, Jared Cirillo, who uh, sat on the city council for a short term and filling in. Sheila Davis, Anthony Gallardo, uh, Tom Kane, Celeste Rochette, and Julie Rose Stroud are the nine official candidates going into uh, the August 1st primary for the mayor's race of the city of Wichita. Now, the reason I bring this up now is because obviously we need to start talking to the candidates to have plenty of time to know and understand them by the primary season in August, which I am expecting a relatively decent turnout. And I'm expecting a decent turnout because we've seen an increase in turnout over the last few years, even for off-season elections, because now more than ever, people are more engaged and more aware of issues, I think, really since the COVID-19 pandemic than ever before. I think the COVID pandemic woke a lot of individuals up, and this is for not just the city of Wichita, but for everybody in every community across the state of Kansas and really the nation, that it woke individuals up to recognize how much power local government and local authorities have. 
when the local city councils told you you could not go to work, told you how your business was supposed to run by only allowing a certain amount of customers in at a time based on the uh, the six-feet barrier, the distancing, the social distancing that we had to do during COVID, uh, when they told the kids they had to get a shot that wasn't really a vaccine, when they told the kids they had to wear a mask at going to school, when they told you that your business needed to shut down altogether because you were non-essential, we all of a sudden realized that it wasn't just the federal government, it wasn't just our state government that had a lot of control over our daily activities, but it had to do with our local county commissions and our local city councils. And for every elected official that voted to shut down things, that voted to limit your capacities, that voted to mandate masks in your own institutions and businesses and buildings, to mandate schools be mandated to wear masks for children and beyond. Every single one of those that put some type of COVID-19 restriction that did absolutely nothing to stop the spread of COVID in any way, shape, or form, every one of those individuals needs to be voted out, needs to be changed up, or at least be aware of the ridiculous, stupid decisions they made based on fear and a lack of proper information and common sense. And we could debate the COVID-19 regulations on whether they worked or not, but I fail to recognize how uh, putting a plastic barrier between you and a cashier and then a plastic covering over the little credit card machine stopped anything when everybody was touching the same credit card machine and you were handing your items to the to the cashier who was scanning your items. And while you may not be breathing on them, they're still touching the same stuff that you touched. <laughs> I, that made no sense to me in any way, shape, or form. The stupid stuff we did with the efforts to try and stop a virus that was airborne that we were breathing in every second. That's the level of insanity that we had, and our politicians, for a decent amount of time, lost sight of common sense. And whether we need to vote them out or whether we just need to rattle their cage a little bit and remind them of who's actually in charge, many individuals remembered how powerful local government is, which is why we're going to start turning out more so for city council races and for school board races and for county commission races, not just our state and federal elected officials. So with the nine candidates, I'm questioning you with our unofficial Kansas poll here on KQAM is who do you think and who do you support going into the mayor's city council race of 2023? We'll do that here uh, in just a minute. When we come back, though, I will have a guest on. We'll have Michael Austin, Americans for Prosperity. They have an event going on today that you're welcome to go and attend. We'll take your phone calls on this poll. Throughout this hour, hour number two, it's going to be a big one. Hour number two, we have Congressman Tracy Mann. We're going to play that interview that we had from just a couple of days ago, right before the House of Representatives voted on that debt ceiling bill at the federal level. We chatted with him about that issue. Also, U.S. Senator James Lankford, as we talked with him, going into the Senate side of that vote. We'll play both of those interviews, uh, U.S. Senator James Lankford from the state of Oklahoma. So we have a lot to get to today on Candace Talk. I want to take your phone calls. We have some calls lining up. Hang tight. We'll get to you here in just a few minutes with our poll on the Wichita mayor's race and other issues going on across not just Wichita, but across the state of Kansas. What are you focused on at that local level to ensure your freedom and try and get things back on track post-COVID-19? We'll do that and more coming up right around the corner on Candace Talk right here on KQAM. Stay here.
22 minutes past the hour here on a Saturday morning. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out on Kansas Talk. Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Also our friends out in Garden City on KIUL. As we rock it for a Saturday morning, getting you up and moving the way we do every single weekend. Hopefully you had a wonderful Memorial Weekend. We'll keep our unofficial poll. Hold on. I am actually going to make a spreadsheet because we're going to keep this going for the next few weeks. Going into primary season, our unofficial poll here on KQAM for the mayor's race. And we may get Jeff uh, Jeff Aiken with uh, Wake Up Wichita, which you can hear every weekday morning, 6 to 8 a.m. We may do that and extend it out to him as well and just do a full-on KQAM poll going into the mayor's race for the primaries on August 1st. With the nine candidates officially locked in, ready to go, who are you supporting and what issues do you want to do? We'll have some calls on the line. We'll get to you in a second and get your thoughts on that one. But first, I want to shift gears. There's an event going on today that you need to be aware of and more than welcome to attend. And I absolutely love this organization. I've been working with them for so long and love having them on the program as we try and fight for, you know, common sense, which is what we talk about on the show with lower taxes and economic freedom and, you know, trying to hold government, you know, accountable for their actions. It's a wild thing. I know it's very difficult, apparently, to do in today's times as well. But there's a liberty picnic going on today that you can be a part of with Americans for Prosperity. Michael Austin hanging out on the line with us to give us some updates on that one. Michael, good morning, sir. What's going on, man? Andy, how are you doing? I hope you had a great Memorial Weekend. Yeah, happy Memorial Weekend, and uh, I can't believe it, dude. We are halfway through 2023 already. It is unbelievable, and uh, it's been a roller coaster of the first half of the year. Hopefully, we can see the second part of the year uh, kind of smooth out a little bit, but you guys have been hard at work nonstop since the beginning of the year, haven't you? We really have. You know, we've been doing our best to push for free market policies all across Kansas, you know, we really try to revamp our education system, get some school choice so that you as a parent can choose, you know, the best education for your child. We did our best to, uh, you know, try to lower some tax relief, do a flat tax, right? Make your uh, taxes simple, easier to understand, and, of course, lower them. Uh, of course, we had some setbacks with Governor Laura Kelly and her veto pen, but we are gearing up, ready to go again to make sure that we make Kansas the best state to raise a family or to run a business. Yeah, amen to that. Just a couple of minutes. I haven't talked to you since the end of the session, but we, we failed to pass that flat tax in the state by one vote in the veto override session in the Senate, which was heartbreaking and devastating. But your thoughts on that whole process, and is there a chance we could push that again next year? The process was beautiful, Andy. I mean, it was really so many pieces came together. So many legislators were able to work together. We all understood the same goal. Kansans were being left behind. Kansans were leaving to go to freer states, uh, cheaper states, taxes or, or lower income taxes, and that we had to do our job. Otherwise, we were going to fall behind. And so, by and large, throughout that whole legislative process, you know, we were all one team. But when it came down to the end, uh, when it came down to overriding Laura Kelly's veto, there was one lone senator who decided to pick personal squabbles over making sure Kansans uh, had a cheaper and, and more affordable life. And that's unfortunate, but you know what? That's what elections are for, baby. Uh, you're going to pay for those consequences by being voted out of office. Yeah, amen to that. It's very strange because that one lone individual that stopped the veto override supported the bill all the way through the process. So was it truly just a personal vendetta? 
That's exactly what it looks like. I mean, if you vote for lower taxes all throughout the, the legislative process, but when it comes down to, you know, the last final vote, you decide to vote no so that you can thumb your nose at, you know, a, a leadership, a leader or a fellow senator, that means that your priorities are not with your constituents. Your priorities about your own ego. And we don't need those types of folks in the legislature. We need folks who are going to fight for Kansans, fight for businesses, fight for our Kansas way of life. And if you want to put yourself over that, then you know what? we got to find somebody else. Yeah, amen to that. Talk about what's going on today. You're on the way right now trying to get everything all ready to go. But uh, as even though the session may be over, your guys' fight's not over, and you guys are holding their Liberty Picnic, which is perfect. I mean, this is the perfect time for it after Memorial Day. Uh, hopefully we don't get rained out today, but what's going on? What do you guys have uh, have happening today? Sure thing. So AFP is working with congressional districts, and in this particular case, it's the third district up here in you know the the Kansas City area, Johnson County, Wyandotte, Miami, where we're calling it our Liberty Picnic. Uh, it's a celebration of all that we've achieved in the past legislative session. We're bringing in leaders to talk about freedom and unity, uh, and I think it's going to be a great time. I'm actually headed up there now. So uh, you want to talk about veterans' issues. You want to talk about the economy. You want to talk about, you know, legislative updates. We're bringing in all sorts of speakers to have a great time, great food, great conversation. And by all means, if you're up here in the area, come on and join me down at Heritage Park in Olathe. Come check it out. I love it. With uh, I know it's an off, quote-unquote, election season, but we have a lot of local races. Uh, we just talked about the mayor's race coming up uh, here in Wichita. We're going to talk about other races around the state as well. Uh, with these types of things, the activism people turning out for Liberty Picnics, to, uh, turning out to listen to speakers, and be engaged. Are you seeing an increase in engagement around the state of Kansas, especially at the more local levels uh, concerned about certain issues? Yeah, uh, we really are. And, you know, this has been this has been growing ever since the pandemic, ever since Laura Kelly shut down schools. You know, we've seen a massive uptick in just everyday, you know, Joes and Janes, just parents out there who decide, you know what, enough is enough. Um, you know, what we're seeing happening in our school system or what we're seeing happening in our city or our county government, you know, we can't take it anymore. And so we're going to step up and we're going to run. And so we're doing our best to kind of keep that movement going ever since the pandemic. And we're definitely seeing it here. I mean, take a look at your Wichita mayor's race. You have so many, you know, great candidates running to unseat Brandon Whipple. Uh, because he's done a horrible job in that city, and he's touting, you know, ESG agenda as, as an accolade. I mean, no, what does that have to do with the price of peanuts? What does that have to do with making life a little bit easier for Wichitans? And so, you know, it's, it's races like those that we're definitely invested in to try to find a way to, to as I said before, making Kansas' life a bit easier. I love it. I love it. It's going to be the Liberty Picnic going on today, starting at 10 o'clock up until 1. So if you're up there, if you're heading up there, you're more than welcome to swing by. Uh, it's going to be great. Are you going to do a Liberty Picnic around here in the 4th District as well? Uh, we most certainly hope so. We're, we're working with congressional districts all across the state to do these types of Liberty Picnics, Freedom Picnics, Unity Picnics. So hopefully we'll be able to come to the 4th District soon. I love it. Michael Austin, Americans for Prosperity for the state of Kansas. Michael, it's good to talk to you again, my friend. Have fun today. Let's get you back on here soon and do an update on what's going on economically around the state. Thank you very much, Andy. I'll be back soon. Always a pleasure, my friend. There it is. That's Michael Austin, Americans for Prosperity here in the state of Kansas. All right, when we come back, we're going to open it up our official poll for KQAM on the mayor's race. We'll talk about that, some of the issues that we have going on in the city. 
A big hour number two as we talk about debt ceiling issues, our delegation here in Kansas, and what we do moving forward at the federal and the statewide level. All coming up here, it's Kansas Talk right here on KQAM. Right here. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Darn right it is. There can be only one. This guy. Welcome back into it. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. If you want to jump onto the program, we'd love to hear from you this morning. Thanks again to Americans for Prosperity, Michael Austin. We'll get them on. They are one of the best in the state and nationwide, really, but one of the best in the state, really focusing on a lot of those economic issues. Uh, we'll get some others on there as well. I, I know I'm a dork. I like to talk about finances and taxes and government spending and craziness. I know there's a lot of other social issues that have been a main focal point uh, for a while, but uh, we don't have the ability to talk about those issues unless we have a stable and foundational uh, a steady financial situation, and sometimes that's very difficult. What's weird is that we have Kansas Governor Laura Kelly that like says we're going to do like a one-time stimulus payment, thinking that's going to boost the economy instead of doing like a full-on tax cut. After she campaigned for the last two years, saying she wanted to do tax cuts, she wanted to do tax cuts on groceries and get rid of the the tax rate on. Uh, groceries. She wanted to get rid of tax rates uh, and sales tax on other issues. And then we present her at the bill to do so. And then she vetoes it because uh, I don't know why she didn't like it for some, whatever reason, because Republicans put their stuff in it too, which was just tax cuts. But nonetheless, that's the situation we're in. And oh, by the way, I have no problem calling out the name of the one state senator that stopped that tax bill on the veto override. And that would be none other than Dennis Pyle, the one that claims to be a conservative Republican that ran as an independent in the governor's race to try and sabotage Derek Schmidt, which he did pretty successfully with the two, two and a half percent that he received in the polls uh, in the uh, in the election and then ended up messing with Derek Schmidt, who lost by about one and a half to two percent of the vote, which those Republican conservatives more than likely would have gone to Derek Schmidt if Dennis Pyle was not in that race. So whatever reason, he's got the vendetta against the Republican Party claiming to be Mr. Conservative and then ends up sabotaging the own bill that he supported through the entire legislative session by not voting for it in the veto override session. And we lost out by that one singular vote. So I would love, love to get him on the program for him to try and explain that vote on why he voted against the bill that he supported earlier and have him explain why Kansans have to deal with a higher tax rate because of a personal conflict he has with other elected officials. And therefore, he didn't put the people front of mind when he made his vote he used his power for his own personal vendetta which i find very strange and probably is why uh, he needs to be booted out of office here relatively soon but he's more than welcome to come on the program any of them are welcome to come on the program uh, including some that have still refused to come on this program for the 10 years that we've been on the air here in the wichita area all right 316-721-8255 316-721-TALK it's officially here let's do our unofficial poll We'll kick it off now with your thoughts on the mayor's race. We have officially our nine candidates going into the primary that's set for August 1st. That includes the current incumbent, Brandon Whipple. 
which personally, I think we need to get him his own dumpster to where he can start cleaning out his office and get them the hell out of there. We <laughs> we also, for those that don't know that joke and that reference, uh, yes, he did break, according to the ethics uh, commission in the city council in the city of Wichita, did say that he broke ethics violations by going and trying to use a community event that he wasn't even supposed to be a part of, cutting in line in front of individuals, berating a law enforcement officer when they pulled him over, and then even calling the city manager to berate and try and fire this police officer because he pulled him over and said that you weren't supposed to be here and you were doing things the wrong way. That's the kind of guy that we're dealing with here. So he needs to go, but he is running for his reelection as the incumbent. We also have City Council Member Brian Fry that uh, has a lot of momentum, has a lot of energy. We'll see if he's able to pull that one off. Lily Wu, the former news anchor with Cake News, that uh, surprisingly has gained a lot of uh, momentum as well and has gotten some endorsements from some of the local elected officials in the county and city as well. Jared Cirillo, who is a former city councilman uh, by appointment for a temporary time, Sheila Davis, Anthony Gallardo, uh, Tom Kane, Celeste Rochette, who's running the uh, Save Century 2 movement, and Julie Rose Stroud. So the nine candidates are there. It's official now that the June 1st deadline to register and file has been completed and over. And now the question is for you. Who do you support early on here? Who are you leaning towards? And what are the topical issues that you want them to focus on on their campaigns for the city of Wichita? Let's go to the phone, shall we? 316-721-8255. Line number one. Good morning. Who's this? This is Frederick. Frederick, how are you, my friend? Well, i tell you what. Uh, I just spent the past uh, 20 minutes going downtown. Now, there are people everywhere on sidewalks, on tents, the whole nine yards. Mm. This is Brandon Whipple's nightmare that he created and we cannot we can no longer live with mm, oh, you, you mean the whole you mean the homeless population yes the homeless population yeah and um who am i for i am for uh brian fry because i think he's going to be about the only one that's going to be able to really successfully clean up downtown Wichita. Now, I know it tears tears at people's hearts because of the homeless people, but but that's just a bunch of bull crap. Clean up Wichita. Well, we've seen a major increase in homeless populations, really not just in Wichita, but all over, but Wichita has definitely seen a major flux of them. And while the city is working to address them, the question is, we have to sometimes, again, instead of looking to the government to say solve the issue, we need to step back for a second and understand and ask the question, why are we seeing an influx in the homeless population right now? And they haven't really given us an answer on that. At least uh, Brandon Whipple hasn't. And his only response is, let's create more government programs to deal with them and take care of them, which, by the way, is going to cost us a buttload of money instead of, uh, yeah, we need to help them get back on their feet. But why did they get in that position in the first place? Andy, it's just damn Brandon Whipple, and he's the most pathetic, worthless mayor we have ever had. I'm almost 80 years old, and I followed the mayors, and he's the most worthless. He has let Wichita just go to straight to hell. And what I don't understand are who are these people that even vote for him anyway? They must be out of their freaking minds. 
They are the, look, there is, and it's hard to believe here in Kansas, but being that Wichita is a growing city, we have a portion of the city population that is the woke, very progressive left-wing activists that we see on the news that we kind of make fun of all the time, but they are here and they are representing and they're the ones who have elected Brandon Whipple and they're the ones that continue to stand behind him and support him. You know, um, I've been a lifelong resident of Wichita, and uh, I've never, you know what, to hell with Wichita, um, I'm ready to move out. Uh, Brandon Whipple and his little, whatever they are, they can have downtown Wichita. It's totally gone to hell. Mm. I don't want any part of it, and I know a lot of decent people that don't any part of it. Quick Trip pulled out because they're so damn pathetic down there. A lot of businesses pulled out because it's so damn pathetic down there. And it's all because of Brandon Whipple. Mm. Get rid of that complete idiot, and we will have a beautiful downtown Wichita. That's why we need to get Brian Fry in there. Now, my only concern is that we have far too many people on the good side running for a mayor. And uh, I don't know. We need to get behind Brian Fry, but... I know my words are a little bit strong, but hey, I have a lot invested in this city. I have almost 80 years invested in this city. So it's my city. It's not somebody that wanders in off the street. city. It's mine. And we need to clean it up so we can be proud of it again and get rid of that Brandon Whipple and his whatever the hell he uh, has brought to downtown Wichita because it's pathetic. And it's his damn fault. I am right there with you, my friend. I understand it. There's a lot of people that uh, have a lot of emotional tie and obviously a lot of years invested in the city. And for it to, I mean, uh, now obviously we're going to see growing pains in the city. We're going to see uh, some challenges as we continue to grow and find ways to expand the city. And uh, that seems to be always one of them that comes around with the, when it comes to homelessness as a city continues to grow. But it doesn't need to be growing this fast. We're still, I love Wichita for the 10 years that I've been here. Because, or I guess, when when I get here, 2015. So I guess what about eight years that I've been here in Wichita, and I love this city because we are that bigger city that still has that small town feel. And if we are still that, then why in the world do we have the doubling and tripling of the homelessness in the area when we should be dealing with this? Uh, pretty easily. So I get it, Frederick. So your vote is for Brandon Fry, and that's what you're supporting. We'll have him back on soon to talk about the campaign and some more. But uh, uh, it's a one for Brian Fry right off the bat. I appreciate that, my friend. Uh, now, here's the big question. I know you said you don't like to go downtown now, but with the kickoff of Riverfest, are you going to be down there throughout the next week and check that out? Hell no. <laughs> All right. Well, there's that. <laughs> That's great. Frederick, I appreciate it, my friend. we got to get to the next one here, but have a wonderful weekend, and uh, hopefully you had a great Memorial weekend as well. Not to, All right, not going down there. All right, let's check it out. Line number two. Good morning. Who's this? Oh, we lost you. All right, give us a call back. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. Uh, it's, it'll be interesting. Now, here's the concern. This is kind of the inside ball game, if you want to talk about it, from the political consultant side of the election for the city. Is that, Like you said, Frederick, we have a lot of great candidates. We have a lot of great candidates. We have Brian Fry, obviously. Uh, we have Celeste Rochette, which I don't know much about, but I know that really her main focus is the Save Century 2 movement, which there's a big movement for that around here. Lily Wu is really the one that surprised me. And I, I don't know if I've said this on the air or not yet, but she obviously was the former Cake News anchor, 
which is cool. But she came out, and me not knowing anything about her kind of made the assumption that she was probably center left, being in the media. And um, maybe I was mistaken on that. She's come out maybe center right as she's gotten the endorsement of uh, County Commissioner Pete Meitzner. And we'll see where she goes. Now, the big question is, I don't know what exactly her agenda is and what the purpose of was running for mayor coming from a news anchor position, not knowing that she was politically involved or engaged in the area. So the question is, is she coming into it with the intent to actually be a viable candidate or is she trying to potentially steer things the other direction by breaking off and splitting the Republican and conservative votes around the area. I, I have no clue, and I'm not making an assumption here. I'm just speculating in uh, in any way. So we'll, bring, we'll be bringing her on. We'll invite her on the program and have her talk and uh, see what she has to say. Jared Cirillo, from what I know, the little bit of, did decent while he was on the city council for a short time. And I got to be honest, I don't know anything about Sheila Davis or Anthony Gallardo or Tom Kane, or Julie Rose Stroud. I don't know anything about these candidates. And many of us may not know a lot about those candidates. So the question is, what would you like to ask them when they come on this program? What would you like to know about them? And do you have a leaning of one candidate or another? It's all up to you at 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we have our update with the AARP, which we do every week. Uh, we'll have them and... We'll get ready for hour number two with our great guest, Congressman Tracy Mann. We talked with him right before the debt ceiling vote that happened earlier this week. And we sat down with U.S. Senator James Lankford from the state of Oklahoma as we chatted with him after the House vote and just before the Senate vote as well. So a lot of stuff to cover. It's open lines to you, and we can talk about any other flavors that you want to as well. There is, by the way, a headline that I saw this morning from WIBW News. Remember those really expensive utility rates we had to pay during that cold front from a couple of years ago? Well, apparently, the Kansas Corporation Commission has extended for the utility company of Liberty Empire. If you're under their jurisdiction of Liberty Empire, they've extended out the ability for consumers to pay that back until 2036, only adding their bill increase of $5.73, trying to cover that one. Worth a conversation for that as well as we continue to investigate why our utility bills skyrocketed in natural gas, especially for that short span of time, so drastically expensive. We'll talk about that and more coming up right around the corner. It's Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Stay here. Again, with the AARP, where there's the Fraud Watch Network Retirement Calculator, getting involved in the community. Make sure to check them out online at aarp.org slash ks for the state of Kansas. Also find them and follow them on their social media as well. Excited to have Glenda back on the line with us today. Glenda, how are you? I'm doing well, Andy, and how are you? We are doing great. Always good to chat with you. Let's talk about the Fraud Watch Network and some of the scams going on. Uh, We've been seeing news reports and a lot of just concerns about just imposter scams, people trying to pretend to be somebody else uh, just to get your personal information, get your bank account information, get your money. And it's pretty scary and pretty sad. What's the latest that you found? Well, what we're finding is that there are a lot of bank imposter scams. And, you know, banking has really changed quite a bit over the past 
few years, and that's thanks to the Internet. But while a lot of people still prefer the brick-and-mortar experiences when dealing with their money, today we do see a lot of people doing um, their transactions online and over the phone. And so criminals are actually cashing in on these types of remote transactions by impersonating banks. Mm, that is pretty concerning. And now if they're impersonating the banks, I'm assuming that they're trying to get maybe your bank account or credit card information for whatever personal use that they want to do. That they want to do, exactly. So they start with a phone call. It can be an email or even a text that will appear to have come from your financial institution. But these spoofed communications carry urgent warnings uh, about problems with your account or a tra- transaction or even um, most of the time they would direct you to click click on a link or call a given number. Yeah, that is concerning. If, uh, if they're reaching out by email or text message, what kind of number are we seeing pop up? Or if it is, uh, does it have any type of emblem or logo from the bank or is it just someone um, pretty generic? You know, it could be just it could just be a, a text message with your the name of your bank, right? Yeah. And um, your and saying to click here because there's a problem with your account. So uh, you you see the name and you recognize the name, or it's so similar at first glance. But uh, you know, the, there are some things that we can do. And, and the first defense against these types of banking scams is knowing that a reputable bank, your bank, will not contact you out of the blue and just ask you for sensitive information. So we need to be aware of that. And if you get a phone call, text, or an email saying that there's a problem with your bank account, you know, we engage with them on a regular basis. So don't engage with that number. You know, instead, contact your bank in the way that you typically do, that you know that's legitimate, you know, like a number on your statement or whatever. And that way you will know it's the official number that, that you're talking to, and they can tell you whether or not they're trying to reach out to you. Yeah, it's always a great trip. Like you said, it's always best just to hang up and recall back that branch at the numbers that you yes, trust. Hang and, up and, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's always absolutely. a great way to do it. At the same time, can you do sure. the same thing with maybe law enforcement? We saw some stories this week about uh, people trying to be imposters of the Candace Bureau of Investigations, or we hear stories about people tr- uh, pretending to be a cop and pulling you over on the side of the street. Uh, is there a cause concern there as well? And can you contact law enforcement with concerns of, hey, I don't know whether this person is actually a member of law enforcement or not? Absolutely. You know, on our Friday uh, Friday fraud watch, we've had the Overland Park police um, and they're on officer who has really shared that, you know, it's okay to call the police in those kinds of situations because they want to hear from you because they know that persons are making uh, imposters of them. So yes, do reach out to those organizations and and those entities directly also. Yeah, that's always good information. Uh, Going into summer, kind of along the same lines, I know we talk a lot about different ways that they can scam you if you're traveling, people just getting back from Memorial Weekend, uh, whether it's the, uh, whether it's, you know, a hotel or whether it's the a gas station or whatever, but are we still seeing some potential summertime scams with the travel season? Yes, we are. Yes, we absolutely are. From your credit cards that you use at the gas station, you know, they, they were definitely uh, a lot of that that's happening. So again, reach out to your, um, your card company or your bank directly. Yeah, always great information. We got just about a minute left here, Glenda, but talk about what else is going on with the AARP. I know with summertime, obviously, people are out and about enjoying the wonderful, beautiful weather across the state of Kansas. But what else do you guys have going on to keep individuals entertained, educated, and aware of what's going on out there? Exactly. There's still a lot of virtual uh, activities going on, and then we'll also have our uh, Friday concert uh, coming up, too. So 
still a lot of good opportunities to engage, even online or out and about. Oh, I love it. Great concerts, great stuff going on. AARP.org slash KS for the state of Kansas. Find them and follow them on the social media as well. Glenda, we always appreciate it very much. Let's do it again here soon. We will. Thank you. All right, hour number two of Kansas Talk right around the corner right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Good Saturday morning. Lots more coming up. Stay here. Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, 1480 on the AM dial, 99.7 HD4 on the FM dial, KQAM. Also, our friends out at 1240KIUL. Good morning all across the city and the state of Kansas. Great to have you along for the ride this morning on a Saturday, getting you up and moving after the Memorial Weekend. (laughs) I know, it was a hard weekend. I totally understand. Totally get it. After Memorial Day on Monday, trying to get back into the groove of things, you finally, finally maybe just got into your groove again, and then boom, another weekend. So we'll take it. But good golly. I am also... Thankful, beyond thankful for all the rain we've been getting across the state as well. I know that we've been in these drought conditions in the media. Uh, for Can we just be optimistic and positive for just a second with that? I know that we're still in a drought. I know that it's still tough. I know that it's still not where, anywhere close to where we need it to be when it comes to rain levels and the water levels, especially for the agricultural community. I know. Totally get it. But yet, media, can, just for a little bit, can you at least acknowledge like, hey, It's helping. It's doing better. We're seeing more green than we've seen in a while. Not just the the drought's still at like 60% bad and 30% exceptionally dry across the state and all the farmers are still dying. I totally get it. It's bad. But can we just thank the fact that we've had rain consistently for a couple of days and for a couple of weeks? Some pretty heavy rains helping a little bit. It's more green than I remember seeing in a good while. Man. Have some positivity, folks, just a little bit. At least look on the optimistic side once in a while. Welcome in 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. Uh, we're going to keep our poll open on KQM for a while, really for the next month or two, uh, both on this program. I'll talk with Jeff Aiken with Wake Up Wichita that you can hear on mornings from 6 to 8 a.m. as well. And uh, we'll see if we can't do an ongoing KQAM poll for your favorite going into the mayor's race that uh, has the Uh, primary race for August 1st. So we'll have that one going on uh, here soon. But this this hour, I want to shift gears just a little bit here. I want to talk about some of the issues going on in Washington, D.C., the debt ceiling and how our delegation voted on some of these issues as we have a couple different interviews we're going to play here in a second. And we'll break down how the delegation went and how the votes went and moving forward when it comes to economic issues, both at the federal level and how we here in Kansas can start protecting ourselves from the inevitable crumbling of our financial situation in Washington, D.C. And we know what's going to happen. The whole point of the bill was to just squeak us through until the fiscal year of 2024 that starts in October. And yet we didn't do that. It was supposed to try and rein in some government spending. It was supposed to contain the government at least a little bit, reform a few things, which we did. We had some decent points in there. 
So I kind of sort of understand why some voted for it on those issues. But at the end of the day, the point of the bill was just to fund the government until the end of this fiscal year for the next two or three months and then look at uh, reforming our uh, financial situation, our spending moving forward uh, thereafter. But instead, we raised the debt ceiling by $4 trillion over the next two years. So there's that. When we said we didn't want to spend any more money, we raised the debt. So we're spending more money. Andy, no, they cut $2 trillion. They cut two, well, really $1.3, $1.5 trillion over a 10-year span and increased the debt ceiling by $4 trillion for two years, which means we're growing by $2 trillion a year while we cut $2 trillion over 10 years. By my math and calculations, that's actually an increase in spending pretty dramatically, by the way. So... Our debt that's sitting at $31, $32 trillion right now, by the next four to five years, we could see it at $35 trillion. Now, while our brains can't comprehend that madness, we're going to try. And we're going to realize that we cannot be sustaining that way. So you think that the inflation is going to go down anytime soon? You think the interest rates are going to go down anytime soon? You think that the economy is going to get better Anytime soon, we have a long road ahead of us, and they continue to spend like drunken pirates in Washington, D.C. So to talk about that, we sat down right before the vote in the House of Representatives. We sat down with Congressman Tracy Mann from the Big First District on the western portion of the state. And this is what he had to say going into that issue, along with some other great issues regarding the Supreme Court's decision on the waters of the U.S. rule and other issues. This is Congressman Tracy Mann. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Andy. Always great to hear from you. Thanks for the fantastic work that you do. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's good to have you on the program. A lot of stuff that happened while individuals are recovering from the Memorial Day weekend with all the barbecues and and the lake and hanging out. You guys were hard at work, and the deal sounds like that there's been some type of compromise between Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy and the Biden administration. But where are we? Is it a good bill? And, And what does this one look like as you guys go into vote? Yeah, great question. And, and first off, you know, everyone that celebrated Memorial Day, um, that's great. You know, we've got to continue to, to thank and express our gratitude for our veterans, mm. the men and women that fought, you know, to, to give us um, our country. We've got to make sure that the way that we live and the way that we, um, you know, lead this country is worthy of their sacrifice. So, you know, I would say this, Annie, as we start here, disappointing that we're even in this spot, right? I mean, President Biden waited almost 100 days, more than three months, to have conversations, um, any negotiations. His his stance was he just wasn't even going to talk about what a debt limit agreement might look like. Um, as a result, you know, this is coming together at the last minute. But this, that we shouldn't be in this position. We should be having a longer-term, uh, responsible adult conversation about the debt loads in this country and where we're at. You know, we are $31.4 trillion in debt. And Andy, I think we're kidding ourselves if we think we can keep spending money like this and that we're not going to have a consequence um, here moving forward. Yeah, that is very true. Uh, I mean, with how long they took, and they even said at the very beginning that any type of uh, budget cut at all was a non-starter for Democrats or the Biden administration. We can't cut spending. We can't downsize. We can't even move the unallotted money from the COVID-19 funds back into the general funds in order to pay for some of these debts to extend it out just a little bit. Because honestly... 
All we needed to do was get through the end of this fiscal year before we actually have a brand new budget. Hopefully, that's going to be a little bit more restraint and a little bit more transparent moving forward into the 2024 budget year. And they didn't even want to do that. So does this one make some cuts? Because from what we've heard, we've heard the fact that it does do some decent cuts, but yet maybe not enough. Yeah, no, that you're you're spot on. That's exactly right. And uh, and we got to remember, you know, House Republicans a month ago passed Limit Save Grow, which wasn't a perfect bill, but it was a good bill. Um, definitely move us in the right direction. Um, but we are where we are. So the deal that's on the table, you know, it's mixed, right? There, there actually are some good things in it, though. It would limit top-line federal spending at 1% annual growth for the next six years. Um, it would do a lot of things to get Americans back to work, um, work-capable able-bodied adults that don't have dependents, you know, requiring them to uh, return to the workforce, which would be a good thing. It would um, stop new taxes the Biden administration wants to impose. It would sweep unspent COVID funds. You know, there there are some things like that. Um, There's some negative things, though, as well. Um, You know, it extends the debt limit all the way through January 1 of 2025, which means there's a good chance at that point, you know, we're going to be pushing $34, $35 trillion. I, I was and for what we'll have to meet this before and we'll continue to, I really think we ought to be extending our debt limit for about a year um, or until next spring and revisit this because we've got to be taking actions to get our spending under control. So so this bill, um, while it certainly could be worse, there's some things about it that, um, that I don't like as well. Sure. Uh, that is true. Now, here's the big question is if this bill comes to the House floor, how optimistic are you of seeing the House sign it? But more importantly, coming from the Democrat side in the Democrat-run Senate, do you see them supporting this as well as AOC and Chuck Schumer and some of the other Senate Democrats right now are livid that Joe Biden has even compromised at all in this conversation? Yeah, we're going to find out. You know, so members of Congress fly back today um, by and large, and so there'll be a lot of internal meetings, a lot of discussions on where members really are on this, and so. Um, this is going to play out over the next few days. That said, when this deal was struck, I, I think everyone assumed that, that President Biden would be able to deliver votes, um, you know, that that from his party to get it passed. Um, but we'll see if that actually is the case. Yeah. Well, I know that they've been doing the campaign saying that, that Republicans are the ones that haven't wanted to come to the table. Republicans haven't been the ones wanting to uh, deal with this issue. And they tried that campaign tactic from the smear uh, smear campaign from the media and from the Democrats. Obviously, it hasn't worked because you guys were on top of this from the very start and saying, hey, let's negotiate. Here's our bill that we passed. Here's our starting point for conversation. So uh, even though they've tried to say that it was your guys' fault. In fact, I love the comment that uh, one of the uh, news anchors asked uh, Kevin McCarthy was, if we default, will you own it? (laughs) And I had to chuckle a little bit because I don't think that talking point's sticking, showing how much you guys have actually worked and focused on this issue. No, that's right. And I'll tell you, I remember being in meetings a year and a half ago, Republican conference meetings, a year and a half ago, talking about this debt limit upcoming and what needed to be done there. Yeah. And, and then, the, you know, Kevin McCarthy went to the president February 1st um, in their first meeting after Kevin McCarthy came speaker talking about this debt limit with our nation's finances. And here we are last minute. Uh, and then also, you know, of course, limits say grow passed the House um, a month ago, which was, um, you know, a, a, not a perfect bill, but a good bill that, that pushed things, um, you know, to where they are now. So to say that, that House Republicans have done nothing just is just categorically false that's just not a true statement yeah that said we'll see where we are you know you know we'll see where the, how the votes shake out 
regardless of this vote, Andy, though, we've got to, as a nation, get our fiscal house in order. You know, we are $31.4 trillion in debt. We've added $6 trillion to the debt in the last three days, or in the last three years. And uh, we cannot continue to afford to spend money like this as a nation and not think that we're going to have huge consequences for it later on down the road. Oh, absolutely. And I know the other side that while they don't want to cut spending, all their choices are, are to raise taxes. Is We just need more revenue. More Now, we have more revenue coming into the country than we've ever seen before in the history of this country, but they want more tax revenue. Does this bill include any type of tax increase anywhere where uh, is part of that compromise to boost, quote unquote, revenues to the federal government? Uh, no, it does not. So wow. it does not include any new taxes, um, which is important. And, uh, and and it was a red line that was communicated to the White House. I would say this, you know, if if a Democrat in the House makes the argument that or someone from the left that we need more tax revenue, I would say if that's the case, then support work requirements. Because one of the biggest things we need to do is we need to get able-bodied, work-capable adults that don't have dependents back into the workforce. And, and one uh, we're not spending federal dollars on benefits for them. Two, they are in the workforce, so as a result, they're paying taxes. You know, that's increasing tax revenue, and uh, and that's a really important thing to do. And number three, it would drive down inflation because one of the biggest drivers of inflation right now is the increased labor costs. You add supply uh, of labor will really help to uh, to tamper down inflation as well. So that's that that's, uh, would be a big step in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it sounds like we may have a relatively decent bill. We're talking with Congressman Tracy Mann from the Big First District of Kansas. Let's shift gears a little bit to some good news that I saw right at the end of last week going into Memorial Weekend as people were going into vacay mode. But the U.S. Supreme Court rocking it on some major issues over the last few months. The latest one coming out, taking another big jab at the Environmental Protection Agency and their Waters of the U.S. rule, which has been a really big stickler for a lot of people for a long time, especially those that own a lot of land or even in the agricultural industry. Uh, But the uh, rule that the Obama administration came out with was repealed under Trump, was re-implemented back under Joe Biden right now. With saying that really if you get a large rain in your backyard and a creek that ends up flooding, then that's now, quote-unquote, a navigable water system and controlled by the federal government. That shot down last week by, by the Supreme Court, wasn't it? Yeah, this is yet another example of the administration and the radical left and this crazy growth of government that we're seeing. So they were saying um, under the Office of the Clean Water Act, that this spot of regulation called WOTUS, Waters of the U.S., that they could regulate farm ponds, drainage ditches, to your point. I mean, basically any standing body of water, which is far beyond what the, uh, you know, what the, the, the intent of or, or the scope of the federal government ought to have jurisdiction over. This is just a gross overreach. So fortunately, the Supreme Court intervened. There was a case on the Sackett versus EPA case, which Last week, the Supreme Court came out nine to zero. So, I mean, this wasn't um, a close call. This was nine to zero. Wow. Was uh, their vote to say no? The federal government does not have unlimited, unlimited um, jurisdictions here. Don't forget that the House and also the Senate passed legislation in the last um, three weeks that would strike down this order, and it passed bipartisan. So, of course, Biden vetoed um, that resolution, but. Um, the administration has been receiving a lot of pushback um, from the House and Senate on this as well, understandably so. 
picture. Uh, yeah, that's a big win. It's a big win because the Environmental Protection Agency has been one, I think personally, that has been way too powerful. We don't really get to restrain them at all. And uh, they've been able to control a lot of the private industry and a lot of the land. Now, how does this play in with the Biden's plan for that 30 by 30 plan with them trying to consume more lands across the nation? Does this maybe put a little block on that as well? I'd like to think it makes them reevaluate all of the crazy things that they're doing. We will, we will see. You know, this thirty thirty um, effort has been fairly quiet over the last few months. Could come back to life and get legs at any time, though. But certainly, you know, this rebuke of the EPA, I would like to think, sends shockwaves to the administration to say, no, um, personal freedom, individual liberty does still matter in this country. The Supreme Court's ruling was a great day for freedom and a bad day for those that are for the growth and expansion of our federal government. Yeah, amen to that one. Now, on the agricultural front specifically, I'm sure a lot of farmers and landowners on that front are happy about this ruling as well, aren't they? Yeah, ecstatic. You know, all the farmers, you know, we felt like where the EPA was going to start was regulating farm ponds, um, drainage ditches, irrigation, you know, those types of things. And so agriculture had had been united. Um, against this effort. So certainly um, good, good news for our ag producers, good news for oil and gas producers as well. As you think about the permittings, permits and the things that they have to do, um, you know, to with, with with their wastewater, this is a very good um, ruling for them as well. Yeah, very good. I love it. It's Congressman Tracy Mann from the Big First District of Kansas. Last couple of things as we let you go, and I appreciate all the time that you give us here on the program. But last week, you also presented some legislation on the House floor regarding abortions. I know it's been a topical issue all over the country, especially after the reversal of Roe v. Wade. But it seems like the uh, the response from the Democrats, the loophole that they've found to try and continue this issue going on has been the telemedicine and hotlines uh, for clinics to address abortion uh, remotely, which I find kind of fascinating. It's, it's infuriating uh, as well. But, you know, you look at this administration and they just continue to try to push out these pro-abortion policies, efforts in various ways, various forms, um, various initiatives. We are working to stop, prevent, defund all of them. The most recent one is this abortion hotline that the administration is setting up. Basically, you know, a, a hotline that if someone is trying to seek an abortion, you could call in and then they would help um, let you know how you could do that. This is absolutely appalling. You know, I'm pro-life. I believe that life begins at conception and is a gift from God. And this is infuriating to me. Not to mention the fact that it's been the law of the land, um, Andy, for decades that we would not use taxpayer dollars um, for abortions. And so this hotline flies in the face of that. So sent a letter to uh, President Biden, had dozens of um, colleagues that sign on, other members that sign on to it, also introduced legislation last week that would specifically defund this hotline. Um, a lot of co-sponsors there look forward to that bill moving and really trying to force the administration into a corner and, and prevent them from being able to fund this, this crazy, wacky, really, really bad idea. It's weird. Yeah. So what exactly would I, I guess I don't understand what the hotline would do, obviously, if they can't p- perform the abortion in person. Is it telling them exactly where to go or the resources they can get for the abortion? Yeah, I mean, it, what does this do? Exactly right. It, it would tell them you know, where to go, how to get an abortion, what, where the oh. services are, you know, all, all of those type of things. That, that's exactly right. 
Wow, it's fascinating. Again, the loopholes they always try to find because when when Democrats lose, they always have to find a way to get their agenda. They are, Congressman, the I always use this analogy, they are the spoiled children in the candy store that throw the massive temper tantrum in the aisle when they don't get what they want, and they always find a way to do it, don't they? It's you got you got to be got to be watching everything going on in this administration right now, and uh, and not fund it, push back, prevent it, um, make a lot of noise because what what they want to do to our country, in my view, is not good at all. It's very frustrating. Last question for you, Congressman. But what else outside of this debt ceiling issue? Let's say that we find a deal, we sign that before the debt ceiling limit hits here in a couple of days. What's the next major priority in Washington, D.C. right now? Obviously, we have the ending of Title 42. We have some other major issues going on. But what are you guys focused on in the House Representatives? Uh, well, the next thing's going to come up this summer. We've already passed a border bill. So that's a override. Um, not a perfect bill, but, but a pretty good bill. We'll do a lot of positive things, get our border under control. Um, the, the spending bills, the appropriations process will be full force this summer. So... You know, we, we do 12 different spending bills, appropriation bills, and, and they would, are all scheduled to hit the floor this summer. And those are for, you know, Department of Homeland Security, um, you know, all the different departments. Yep. Uh, they would come before Congress. There's also a farm bill, by September 30th, that's being worked on, an FAA, Federal Aviation Administration Authorization. Um, all those things are going to be happening over the next few weeks and months. Man, I'm excited. If we could actually get the 12 appropriations bills passed and actually have a, a federal budget for the first time since the Obama administration, I would be so happy, and I would applaud you guys immensely. It's going to be huge. So, Congressman Tracy Mann from the Big First District, we appreciate it all the time, my friend. Keep up the great fight. Let's chat again here real soon. All right, there it is. That was Congressman Tracy Mann from the Big First District right before the vote that happened earlier this week. And he did vote no on that bill. So we appreciate his vote and what he's done. We'll talk some more about that when we come back after the bottom of the hour. We'll shift gears when we come back and we'll go to the Senate side and how that process went down as we talk with with Senator James Langford from the state of Oklahoma. And we got his thoughts right before that vote as well. And recap what the heck happened. All coming up here on Candace Talk. Moving through last half hour on the home stretch, baby, for your Saturday morning on it, which does Big Talker KQAM. Stay here. Listening to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. There it is. Yes, you are. Welcome back into it on the home stretch here. Last half hour of the program for a Saturday. Open lines to you at 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. I want to tell you about my friends over at Napoleon Appliance Repair. As they were voted best of, of for the city of Wichita in 2022. It's hard to believe we're halfway through back in June already, but they're already killing it this year as well. Napoleon Appliance Repair, if you have any of your appliance issues, any of the old school stuff to the new age technology, computerized stuff, they can help you out. I still need to get them out. So my ice dispenser went out again in my refrigerator. And why it keeps going back and forth, I don't know. It works for a little bit, then it doesn't. Then it works for a little bit, and it doesn't. I'm going to get these guys out and have them take a look at it because they are the best at what they do with Mike and Mike Jr. hanging out. And we appreciate them very much partnering with us here on KQAM and on Candace Talk here. We've had them on the show. We need to get them back on and maybe talk about ways to try and preserve your appliances during the heat and summertime seasons. 
That would be interesting. We'll have them on here soon. Napoleon Appliance Repair. Check them out. 316-409-1525. Again, 316-409-1525. You can also find them on their Facebook page at facebook.com slash Napoleon Appliance Repair, LLC. We appreciate them very much and their partnership with us and all the great work that they do. And go and check them out when you have. Don't go into another holiday with the family get together and then have your appliances break. I've told you the story before. Uh, we had family come out a couple years ago for Thanksgiving, and Mrs. Voice of Reason ended up putting the turkey into the oven to cook. And a few hours later, we went to check the turkey that was in the oven that was supposed to be cooking, and it was still cold and had no clue that our oven had completely gone out on Thanksgiving while the family's out. That was a crazy time, and we had to get the new one. But Prevent that from happening. Don't be us like that. Call Napoleon Appliance Repair. Again, 316-409-1525. And on Facebook at uh, Facebook.com slash Napoleon Appliance Repair, LLC. All right, so we chatted with uh, Congressman Tracy Mann from the 1st District of Kansas as he was going into that vote earlier this week on the debt ceiling issue. Uh, he did vote against the bill at the end of the day. And it was uh, really an interesting breakdown how we talked about it on the show where he gave a lot of the positives of the bill and was like, well, maybe it's not as bad, maybe it's all right, and uh, but at the end of the day still realized that it just wasn't where it needed to be, even during a compromise session. I said it before, the bill that the Republicans had in the House prior to this one was a way better bill that they had already passed, and they should have said, we're sticking with this bill. Democrats, it's your job now. Senate, it's your job now. Work with us on this bill or else, and we can tweak this one a little bit although I think that they already had compromised quite a bit in that first bill. But uh, we're not going to write an entirely new bill that's full of a whole bunch of pork crap. So there was that. So as the bill passed through the House of Representatives, it got pushed over to the Senate relatively quickly. And right before that bill was voted on that night, earlier that morning, we sat down with U.S. Senator James Lankford from the state of Oklahoma as he broke down his thoughts on the bill before that vote as well. Senator, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. You can call me James Senator, whatever. Uh, hey, fine. well, it's good to have you back on the program. And uh, boy, oh boy, what a last couple of days in Washington, D.C. Last night, the House of Representatives voting for the new debt ceiling bill. Uh, we had, it, it seemed like we had a decent bill about a month or so ago, and then we kind of renegotiated. Uh, some Republicans, more on the conservative end, ended up trying to fight this one with over 70 of them, not supporting that last night, but with the help of the majority of Democrats. What's your thoughts on this bill, and when could this be potentially taken up in uh, the Senate side? Yeah, we're still going through all the details on it, but I would tell you that uh, the Senate will pick it up either today, tomorrow, Saturday, somewhere through there. There are quite a few amendments that are being queued up on this, dealing with national defense. Uh, what does it take to be able to help protect our national defense since that number uh, is lowered in it? Trying to be able to figure out some of the mechanics of how this works. There seems to be a lot of strong policy in it with an exception at the end of it uh, that are in it. For instance, there's a policy that deals with, uh, you know, limiting the number of new regulations that can come out of the White House. And it has pages and pages of how to be able to limit it. But at the very end, literally the last line of, the, of that piece says, but, this can be waived by the White House if they consider it necessary to waive it. I mean, there's no exception, just like wide open. So it sounds really strong. The same thing on permitting issues. A lot of things talk about, you know, things have got to go faster on permits. They've got to be limited in pages unless the White House considers it necessary that it has to be longer. Or it says that's to be done in two-year timeline. And I ask the question, what happens if they don't? It's like, well, that doesn't happen. What happens if they don't? So literally there's no limitation. 
there's a lot of issues there. And even with the reduction of spending, the reduction of spending is really a decrease of the increase of spending. Spending goes up the next two years uh, under this bill. It just goes up less than inflation. Uh, so there, there are a lot of issues that many of us are asking questions about to say, hey, this is not an unreasonable question. If we're going to talk about dealing with our debt and deficit, does spending go down or up? And the answer is it goes up. Yeah, that's the concern. I mean, the whole point of this conversation was, hey, while we have the opportunity, we need to address the massive out-of-control spending. And they're touting the fact that it could potentially cut $2 trillion out of the budget for the next 10 years. But it also raises the debt ceiling by $4 trillion for the next two years. By my calculations, that's a massive increase in spending, kind of the opposite of what the entire purpose of the conversation was from the start. Yeah, the biggest challenge that we have is how far out of balance we really are. Uh, We are a trillion dollars a year of overspending now. A year, a trillion dollars. Now, you go back to Ronald Reagan. uh, During the time of Ronald Reagan, the first time we ever hit a trillion dollars in total debt as a country was under Ronald Reagan. So all the debt from the beginning of the country until Ronald Reagan accumulated $1 trillion of total debt from Reagan until now is $31.5 trillion in debt. So, and this, this bill will add more, but it's not just the, it's not just the debt ceiling adding more. The debt ceiling really doesn't add debt. It allows us to be able to pay the bills that are already out there. The problem is the budgeting issue and what's actually happening in the way that we're budgeting we're a trillion dollars of overspending a year. I, I put out a book called The Federal Fumbles every year, which identifies wasteful spending. They just ask the question, are there places we can reduce spending? And the obvious answer is yes. And we put out some obvious options on that to say, let's actually have a real grown-up conversation about what we're spending. Yeah, that's a great point. I know that you're on the Senate side, so you don't really have uh, to kind of know what's going on in the minds of some of the the congressmen on the House side. But why do you think that Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, uh, went away from his Limit, Save, Grow Act that they passed at the end of April to renegotiate completely? I mean, the whole purpose, and Republicans said, we did our job. We passed a bill. We passed something that limited, that did our transparency, that did some government cuts, that did everything at a decent negotiation point, which I wish that would have been the end result, not the beginning of a negotiation result. But why do you think they scrapped it? I know we have to work with Democrats, get something done because the Senate, uh, the Senate's still run by Democrats. But why didn't we pressure them more to say, look, we made a bill. We did something. Now you have to respond to it instead of just scrapping it and starting all over again. Yeah, well, I, that, that I don't know how the negotiations went, but you were right in the answer when you said it is a Republican Speaker of the House negotiating with a Democrat White House and a Democrat Senate. Uh, we, we have enough leverage to slow spending down, but we don't have enough leverage to make everyone else bend to our will on that. Uh, you, you go back to two years ago when there's a Democrat House, Democrat Senate, Democrat White House, they're dramatically increasing spending. This bill at least turns the spending down and decreases the increase. Uh, But as bizarre as it sounds, we're dealing with the White House and with the Senate that's just obsessed with spending more, spending more. So I I don't fault in some ways Kevin McCarthy in this because of what we've got. Uh, We do have elections and elections do have consequences as a republic. Uh, This is part of the negotiation process. But I have to tell you, my biggest frustration is there are parts of the bill that advertise to do one thing. But do you read it? It actually does something different. And to me, that is not consistent uh, with what we're trying to do. So don't 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 try to smoke and mirrors me on this. Uh, Tell me what we've actually got and then actually have it uh, and find a way to be able to reduce spending. I I was in the House in 2011 
when we did the Budget Control Act. That was with a Republican House, Democrat Senate, and a Democrat White House. And at that time, we literally reduced spending at that point. We Spending went down two years in a row, not decreasing an increase. Yeah, that is concern. We're talking to U.S. Senator James Langford from the state of Oklahoma. Last question on this before we kind of move on. But uh, after the vote last night, Chuck Schumer came out and said that it was a good bill, and he's happy the House passed this one. And now that it's going to sit in the Senate, uh, your prediction on whether this is going to pass or not, I know many conservatives like yourself are concerned about this and may vote no against this bill. But uh, with Democrat support, it sounds like right now, even though they didn't get everything they want and they were touting the fact that, uh, they didn't get all the social programs they wanted, that it's actually going to boost uh, spending for the military and defense and that sort of thing. Do you think it's going to pass in the Senate if the vote were held today? It would. Yeah, it would pass in the Senate. And wow. we'll, we'll see what the final vote tally looks like. But this is, this is cute to be able to actually uh, pass in the Senate and get to the president's death. So there, there, are, there are a lot of things that are a lot of fights that are past this that we've got to be able to finish uh, because the actual appropriations process is still coming. And uh, so that is the next step uh, that would take off uh, in the rest of June and July uh, into the fall. So there's still more budget fights to be able to go. Very interesting. Let's shift gears a little bit. I know that you've been down at the border quite a bit and uh, you're going down there again here soon. But what's the situation that's while we're not talking about it in the mainstream media any longer, we're still seeing a mass migration of individuals, a mass uh, emergency really at the border. Texas still trying to do everything they can to just mitigate the issue. But it sounds like the Biden administration has just wiped it off as well. We sent military down there. We've shortened the uh, interview process for individuals coming into two minutes and then we put them on the bus, give them the the uh, the, the food stand card, whatever, and just ship them on their way to go to wherever we're going to take them. So they're not coming in illegally. We're just vetting them at a two-minute cycle, so that way we can get as many in as we possibly can. I mean, Senator, what the heck? Yeah, this, this administration is focused on limiting the chaos at the border itself. What they don't want is the camera image of thousands of people all piled up in a detention facility. They don't want that picture, and so the way to be able to solve that picture is to wave people through faster and get them into the interior of the country. That's why you've got big city liberal mayors in New York and others that are complaining about the number of people that are ending up in their city because it doesn't provide the visual that the administration is so worried about. I'm worried about the national security issues here. Literally, we have individuals that are coming in. And when I was in Arizona last week, the biggest complaint that they had in that region was the number of non-Spanish speakers that are coming across the border now from West Africa from the Middle East, from Pakistan, from Russia, from China. We have individuals that are adult-aged males. We're talking in their 20s and 30s that are coming across our southern border in very large numbers from many countries that hate America. Those individuals are showing up, coming across the border, saying, I have fear in my country, and the Biden administration is literally waving them in. And uh, this is a growing national security issue that I've been back and forth with Homeland Security on uh, even this week, trying to be able to push and to say, you are allowing people into our country that you have no idea their criminal history, no idea their background, but you know they're coming from countries that are not allied with the United States and that there are major problems that could be brewing here in the days ahead. So yet this is not just a 
an unwise issue. This is a national security issue. Yeah. Well, and the fact now that we're giving them the green light to where we can't even label them as, quote unquote, an illegal because of the fact that they've been, quote unquote, processed by the government uh, just makes it all the more complicated as well. But let's take it to the next level. We've had an issue with uh, opioids and fentanyl coming across the border in mass. Now that we're seeing this issue as well, are we going to see a massive increase in the amount of fentanyl that's flooding our streets across the nation? No, we already have. And in, in Oklahoma and Texas in our area, actually methamphetamine is still killing more people than fentanyl. We have a massive amount of methamphetamine and fentanyl that are coming across our borders. And uh, the way that it's happening is the cartels are putting up 20 or 30 people coming across the border at one time. And they know the Border Patrol has got to come in to be able to do the pickup for that group. When that happens, the Border Patrol comes in. They'll go two or three miles down the river and they'll push them across the desert in that area with camo and backpacks, and they'll run through and deliver all the fentanyl and meth coming in. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it's a really big issue that is definitely connected to the number of folks that are illegally coming across the border. And the, the, the activists will all say, well, not all those people illegally cross the border carrying drugs. That's 100% true. They're not all carrying drugs. But the cartels that are managing when you come across the border from the south, they are managing how drugs come in. So the more we allow people to come across the border, the more we're allowing these drugs to be able to come into our country. And we literally had 100,000 Americans die from fentanyl just last year, 100,000. So this is a killer of Americans. This is something we got to take seriously. It's not just a terrorism risk that's coming across the border. It is an everyday risk. It's been compared to having a plane crash every single day in America. And this administration is just looking the other way. What a scary disaster. Uh, the Hispanic community, according to Democrats in the mainstream media, are predominantly ones that vote Democrat, that support left-wing liberal policies. Uh, but most of them that have come here to try and get away from cartels because of the disaster that they are in Central America, uh, they come here to try and get away from that stuff. Are you hearing from those communities concerned of saying, wait a second, we tried to get away from that. Now we're seeing that come into this area that we tried to get away from. That's the whole point we came here was to get away from these guys. Now we're seeing that back on the streets here as well. Is that a cause for concern for many in the Hispanic community specifically? Absolutely it is because the Hispanic community would be the first one to be able to tell you people that are illegally crossing the border and coming in are stealing their jobs. And it's also a reason that most of the mayors in South Texas now are Republican because those border communities are experiencing it firsthand what's really going on. When you go to Yuma, Arizona, uh, where I was in January, that's a small community of 100,000 people, 100,000 in that whole area. It's a farming community right along the border. They've had 300,000 people illegally cross the border in Yuma just in the past year. So they've been absolutely overrun. Those communities experienced first the Biden administration's bad policy. The rest of the country experiences it second. And so, yes, those communities are very concerned about what Democrats are doing to their communities, and they're ready to push back. Yeah, it is concerning. It's, ta- it's U.S. Senator James Langford. Last question here. I know you got to run, and I appreciate your time very much, but what else can we do on this issue? I know Texas is doing everything they can. They've tried to raise their own task force to try and deal with this issue, even though it's not a state issue because the states aren't supposed to handle uh, foreign policy and immigration issues, but they have to because the federal government's not doing it. What else can we do? And is is Washington right now working on anything, or is the budget really the primary focus right now? So Washington's distracted, but I would tell you myself, and there's several others that we focus on immigration all the time. That's why I was back in Arizona last week 
Uh, we've got to have a constant, continual focus on the border and can't let the media and other folks get distracted from this uh, because this is a big national security issue uh, that we've got to solve on it. And while the administration is just saying, look away, don't pay attention to it, we need to, we need to do exactly the opposite and to say this has to be solved. So the way we talk about it matters. We're, we as a nation, we're not anti-immigrant. I'm just anti-illegal immigrant. Yeah. Uh, that, that shouldn't be that difficult to be able to process. We want to have more people immigrate to the United States. We want people from all over the world to come experience the American dream. That's who we've been as a nation for more than two centuries. But I do not like illegal activity. I don't like people gaming the system. Well, the Ill- illegal activity and the drugs and the cartels coming in kind of kills off that American dream to where when they come here, they're not going to be able to experience the full uh, right. uh, beauty of what we have to offer here. So it's something that we have to address relatively soon. It's U.S. Senator James Langford from the great state of Oklahoma. Senator, for what it's worth on this budget issue, everybody that we hear from on the radio uh, is a hard no on this bill. So we advocate for you to vote no on this one. But thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for asking those questions and uh, calling these guys out. Keep up this great fight. We appreciate everything you do up there. Let's get you back on the show again real soon, my friend. The cars crawl past all stuffed with eyes. Welcome back into the program as we wrap up here last couple of minutes. Great interviews we've had throughout the week. Great conversation regarding the debt ceiling issue. It was a split vote on the congressional level for our delegation here in Kansas. Congressman Tracy Mann being the only one in Kansas to vote against that debt ceiling bill. On the Senate side, it was split as well with U.S. Senator Roger Marshall voting against the bill. Jerry Moran... No surprise voting for that one. Not even a conversation on that. We just we assumed we knew he was going to go for that one because, well, just uh, uh, do you think he can come on and talk about it? You think he'll come on and, and discuss it? I mean, we've tried to get him on since 2015 when we started our radio program. So, oh, oh hold on. Wait a second. What is this segment? Well, she sneaks around the world from Vienna to Carolina. She's a sticky-fingered filcher from Berlin down to Belize. She'll take you for a ride on a snowboat to China. Tell me where in the world is Jerry Moran. Feel their soul in South Korea. Make it let it cross right on the moon. The Red Sea's a green land. They'll be singing the blues. Well, they never Arkansas her steel. The main come from the jungle. Tell me where. The world is Jerry Moran. Maybe we'll get him on one of these days. We'll see. We'll see if he comes. He's always welcome. Anytime. Anytime. We'll <laughs> come on and explain some of the votes. That does it for us today. We're back at it again next weekend. Make sure to check us out here on Kansas Talk every Saturday, 9 to 11. Until then, we're also back on it with our Voice of Reason program on Monday. Until then, everybody, have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the warm weather. Enjoy the festivities. Enjoy the potential rain. Soak it up as much as you can. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on the radio here soon.